Today's very special edition of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by the cloud, revolutionizing computing since the 21st century, and the fog, like the cloud, but scarier. Good. Do you want to tell everyone about the meal we just had? The impromptu Thanksgiving? Might have been the greatest meal of my life. Absolutely. Um, I, I eat I eat one dinner a week, and this is by far the best dinner I've had in... God you One dinner a week that is food and, yeah, not, and not a seven and seven. Correct. Mm. I mean, I, I've like upped my taste, so now I'm doing red wine. But uh, yeah, 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 it's the best meal I've had in some time. Pizza and uh, Popeye's chicken tenders. Now that's a murder I could get on board with. <laughs> and we down it with some red wine. Oh yeah, couldn't get better. Um, so it's episode eleven, which is one more than episode ten, which feels pretty good. Yeah. I feel, we are I feel now, like we've crossed the threshold. Yes, we've crossed the threshold where we realize we'll never make a living out of this. <laughs> solid to quite solid. Uh, but, I, you know, I do want to take a minute to reflect. I don't know if we, we did enough of that the last time. And I think you and I have talked about, like, should we do seasons of the show? I know it's kind of like a current event show. Right. And maybe we'll bookend this at some point arbitrarily. You know, when the NBA playoffs are over. But there are two core themes that if you listen to our show this season, that you should remember. Number one, the cloud is everything. And if you're not in the cloud... What the fuck are you doing? Correct. And number two, the global oil crisis of 2020 is nigh. The end of the world. Or- the, end of, the end of the world. Potentially the end of the world. But it'll start with oil. Correct. So, not to beat a dead horse, but we're going to hit on that this episode. Through the lens of current events, we're going to crow about the fact that I think we might be geniuses and we might see the future. Here's the thing. Not, not to, uh, again, beat a dead horse, but I think I proclaimed us geniuses three episodes ago. Yes, in fairness... You have always thought you were a genius because you have irrational confidence. That's what I love about you. But I now I think it might be true. And that's saying something. Um, um, yeah. Separately, I do want to announce that next week we're going to have a very, very special guest. Who, who could very well destroy this podcast single-handedly. Yes. And, and who the hell knows? This whole we might be geniuses thing might not age well. It might not age well. In the fullness of time, we'll either be right or either be wrong. That's the beauty of the show. Like, you either make money on the cloud, which we've <laughs> we've been richly rewarded for, or you'll make money on oil in 2020, in 2020, mind you, or not. But next week, our dear friend, James Lynn, uh, I would say probably 
the most prolific amateur economist I've ever met in my life is probably going to destroy our reputation in Macroeconomics Corner. I'm excited about it, James, <laughs> and I know you're listening because we have 10 documented listening, listens from Irvine, California, and you're the only person we know that lives there. <laughs> so good job by you. Yeah, p- part, of me, part of me is excited. Part of me is... I'm starting to feel a little humble now just because I know it's coming, but... Uh, no, no, no. It's, listen, don't get out of character and start to get uh, quaky on me, okay? You are a genius. We are geniuses, and we're going to prove it this episode. All right. So let's go. Let's do it. Macroeconomics Corner, which will probably be a ruin by the end of next week, but let's enjoy it one more <laughs> week before James Lynn comes in here and absolutely destroys us. All right. Uh, quick flyer on... So the jobs report comes out tomorrow. We are recording a little bit early this week. But we do know the jobless claims have reached another striking marker. They're at their lowest level since 1969. Pretty sure it doesn't mean anything. And it's just kind of like a false positive about the quote-unquote strength of the economy. What do you think? I mean, it's absolutely true. These The jobless claims keep falling, but ultimately it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily translate to what the jobs report says. So, yeah, so what was the quality of jobs in 1969 versus now? Right? There were factory jobs in 1969. Now you have to work at Applebee's. Not you. <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. We could end up at Applebee's when Look, the robots take our jobs. But, uh, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're separate metrics. So although the jobless claims have been falling the last couple of months, the... The unemployment rate has ticked up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're not completely unrelated, but it's hard to read too much into it until... Well, sh- well, surely this is the sunset of the long summer of the economy. Correct. And here's why. Back to the theme of season one, as yet to be defined what the season is. <laughs> but today, Wall Street Journal, they published an article... And I would say they finally caught up to our wisdom. Why? They ran a story about the oil crisis in global shipping. That's coming in 2020 when the maritime laws require the global shipping conglomerates to use the middle of the barrel. Robert, we're ahead of the curve, as per usual. Of course. I'll ask you uh, a couple of things, and then I'll chime in, as I always do, Mm because I like to interrupt you. Um, What did they get right and what did they get wrong in this take? I mean, we pretty much nailed everything. We did. What did they get wrong? I feel like the tone was a bit amiss. Yeah, I mean, two there's two glaring issues in in the article that we read today. One, I don't think it it encapsulates how truly devastating this could be. I think it sort of skims over yeah, this might be bad and yeah, Things could go south for a bit, but we'll be fine. Well, the headline telegraphed that. Yes. Like, it's cool. The shipping companies are ready. Yes. They can handle it. And one of the most laughable lines in that article was something to the effect of efforts to combat the impending apocalypse are in full throttle. In place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, and then, that's the headline, but in the first sentence... And I'm, i got to read verbatim, because we nailed it. Quote, in reference to this change, 
Quote, the biggest change in ship propulsion since the maritime industry moved from coal to heavy oil at the dawn of the 20th century. Robert, we have uncovered something that happens once in a century. And we did it before the Wall Street Journal. So I bought in on ExxonMobil. Today I had a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to explode until 2020. And this crunch creates, obviously, a groundswell in global oil demand. But I got one more play for you that I did get from this article, which I hadn't reckoned with before. Another thing they called out is the global shipping industry is very interesting. And it's over the past decade or so, there's a lot of shipping conglomerates and there's a lot of vessel supply out there. And there's been a price war globally to win contracts to carry output across the globe. This has actually created a industry wherein profits are horrific. And what this article highlights is there are a lot of uh, Mickey Mouse operators at the fringes who, when oil prices or when fuel costs become more expensive, it will probably bankrupt them. In which case, global shipping will funnel through uh, a number of larger providers who can absorb the impact of the fuel cost increase to them. Correct. And can charge more for freight. uh, Companies that can afford to put the scrubbing infrastructure in place. And hereby, my recommendation of the week. I'm starting to recommend things now, Robert. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. But I'm not really, (laughs) because if I'm wrong, I completely will backtrack on it. But Maersk. Maersk is the uh, Danish global shipping conglomerate. You've probably seen their containers because you live in Long Beach. They are the market share leader in uh, global logistics and shipping. I'm going long on Maersk in parallel with a long position in oil. I'm feeling strong and quite strong about it. You're really doubling down on on the end of the world here, aren't you? Oh, yeah. But you're going out rich. I will be rich (laughs) and then I will die suddenly with my brethren in humanity. Exactly. Uh, anything, anything you want to add? No, I mean, it's clear, it's clear that slowly people will come to realize the magnitude of this. And it's not something that's properly captured while reading a a 15 minute article on the Wall Street Journal, but the implications are, are immense. And, uh, yes. And on that score, one final point, then we'll, we'll get off the Island here. When fuel costs go up, uh, the global maritime shipping conglomerates will raise their freighting rates. They will pass that along to exporters. And eventually, through the value chain, this article predicts, and it's probably correct, the cost will go to consumers. Consumers pay more for goods. They'll pay more for fuel prices, more inflation, uh, weaker purchasing power, ipso facto, 2020, worst economic crisis since 2008. Sure. Okay. Sure. I'm not going to fight you on that. (laughs) Let's move to uh, the business corner. The umbrella around all this is the cloud. You're going to get to the cloud. We will. In your stock pick corner. We will. A couple of things to highlight in the news cycle this week. The only thing that happened that's like in the headlines, especially in tech, Tesla, airballs, once again on deliveries in Q1. Uh well, I would say at this point they're building on a storied history of dumpster fires and overpromises. 
And and I would agree, which which makes today's drop that much more surprising. Like they've been they've been missing every promise they've made for the last I don't know how long they've been public, but the full time that they've been public. Every time Elon Musk comes out, he promises the world and delivers you about eighty percent of that. So to twelve percent. Sure, it's it's a it's a range. <laughs> it's a range. Um, so I'm not sure why why the stock fell as much as it did. But, uh, it does. So, uh, someone representing a hedge fund came onto Bloomberg and referenced this story and gave like a full throated defense of why they're like still hard in the paint, died in the wool for Tesla long. Like they're the only company that's a viable blah, 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 electric car, blah, blah, blah. There's such an irrationality of still belief in in tesla and elon as the future which i don't understand and if we were running a hedge fund we would have huge short positions on tesla i mean i I think we i think we discussed that on episode one which is i wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole but the problem is the stock itself is so polarizing that while you have these people saying hey tesla is the next thing to go to two thousand dollars a share that in itself will create demand and therefore a floor yes um but yeah, the business model isn't isn't promising and having Elon Musk look, I I want nothing more than for Elon Musk to succeed because I have a vested interest in that myself. Mm-hmm. But I I just don't see it happening. No. No, no, no. Cuz well, they don't make money, right? Which is trace commas gold. Correct. But in a car manufacturer, a bit troubling. They don't have any cloud enterprise relief valve here. It's a car manufacturer that doesn't make money and has the same market cap as GM. Right. I mean, something about that seems offensive. Highly offensive. Uh, so, yeah. Bad on you, Tesla. Yeah. Get your shit together. You and now it. it's time for our victory lap. I mean, we already took one with the Wall Street Journal oil article. Let's start <clears throat> this week, Robert, with Lyft. Lyft finally comes back to Earth. Not finally, it's been a week. Uh, But now, in our eyes, we told you last week... Stay away. Stay away. I hope you did, because it took its rightful place. On the market is now the hot pick, if you're a hedge fund manager, to short. The most expensive short in the market. Which means demand is surging to short that motherfucker. Absolutely. And it makes all the sense in the world for all the reasons that we talked about. And then, to boot, article today comes out. Again, we were were the first to call it out. I'm just going to say it was us. (laughs) That rideshare doesn't make sense until autonomous driving becomes a viable technology. I'm hearing the ghosts of my own narrative in my own head. Right? Absolutely. Which, Which, one, calls into question, why aren't we writing these articles? I guess we could, but then we'd have to start a blog and maintain it. Eh, it's just not worth it. And instead, we can just speak into this microphone like a couple of idiots. Also, we wouldn't have the red wine. Yeah. Yeah, this is my... This Listen, is you could drink this, while you're writing. This is better. <laughs> no, no, I mean, we. I think we definitely deserve a victory lap here. There was so much irrational exuberance that when the stock shot up, whatever it was, 20%, you know, people were asking me personally because I, I'm... Uh, I'm an activist, as you know. Yes. People were asking me, should I buy it? And I said, no, no. You, you stay away from that. You stay away. Twelve um, people I know at work. Hey, hey. It, 
It might only it's be 12 <clears throat> people who saved their fortunes. Yes, yes. Um, potentially bad counsel. No, I mean, I, I think slowly but surely people will realize that, um, at least in the immediate future, it's it's not a good idea to hold it. But on the flip side, though, I think it lowers expectations on the unicorns that are coming to the market. So I think seeing Lyft behave this way sort of changes the outlook for the Ubers of the world that should be coming public. Surely, and in many ways, I'm glad they came to market first. I think it would have been a tougher call with Uber, to be quite honest. Although, I think just the irrational exuberance still would have given me pause. But Lyft was just such an easy target. Domestic market, price war, all the indicators were there. Don't go long on this yet, and probably never. Right, right. All right. I'm not going to take a victory lap on this one. I'm going to move to Boeing. And you could. I could. Well, let, let me explain myself. Two weeks ago, <clears throat> two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we've been talking about it. We advised patience on Boeing, which I think is still advisable. But now I have taken a flyer on Boeing, and here's why. Uh, you saw its stock price plummet with the... Ethiopia crash. Subsequently, over the last couple weeks, Boeing has been in the headlines, revelations about what actually happened in the flight have come out. They've been kind of damning to Boeing, and yet the price has plateaued and even in this week started to increase again. So I took a flyer on Boeing. It's actually crept up to at this point 396. I got in at 385. At one point, it was at like 362. The price targets seem to be at the 52-week high, which is about 450. So, just on the value balance alone, I think it's the time to go back in on Boeing. Yeah, I, I think the so I don't know if you read the uh, the Wall Street Journal article over the weekend about the reaction of the pilots and, and everyone involved. I did because we both read the weekend edition. We do because it's relaxing as hell. Absolutely, uh, but it was a damning article to. Damning. So that's that was my mental space going into right. Monday. Right. So going into Monday, you realize this stock's not going any lower. Nope. I mean, the fact remains, there's a seven-year backlog on on orders for the Boeing. Mm-hmm. Right. So the structural tailwinds are there. Right. So Boeing isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the fact that the stock behaved the way it did from a technical perspective, I think it's it's safe to go back in. I still wouldn't do it just because the options are expensive, but if you're holding the stock, I think you're fine. Yeah. All right. Now, let us go. Are, are we coming back to Earth? or we're, we're coming back to Earth, but conceptually, it's still a resounding victory. Okay? All right. All right. Okay. We talked <clears throat> about Bayer last week. We did. And how Bayer was 100% a stay away. Yeah. But... We recommended... Uh, By contrast, DWDP, the erstwhile parent company of Dow DuPont, was probably a good play to hedge against all of the headwinds that Bayer was going to live through as the other side of the duopoly in this global chemical agriculture market. Correct. And we are geniuses because DWDP spun off Dow Inc. this week. And if you had been a shareholder of DWDP at the time, 
you got uh, <clears throat> a three to one payback on Dow Inc. And Dow Inc. has been surging this week. Yes. So good job by us. Now, what did I do? <laughs> I bought DWDP on Monday, April 1st. The spinoff happened on April 2nd. So I apparently bought DWDP at the market rate at the time and have subsequently lost 33%. <laughs> and I haven't seen my Dow Inc. shares come in and I'm really upset about it. And fuck you, Merrill. Yet another example of why you suck. <laughs> So if I don't have six shares of Dow Inc. tomorrow, it will be a complete failure of execution on my part. But but in theory... In theory, I'm a genius. You are. You are. I'm like just, Mozart, but just, I can't play the actual harpsichord. Just think, if you'd bought this and MJ, you'd be sitting on... Son of a bitch bastard. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope someone else actually had, had the wherewithal to execute on this. I mean, all it takes is a decent broker and you'd be making money, but... God, where should we go? Merrill Edge. I don't know. It's just so hard to leave. I mean, my entire my entire life revolves around B of A. My mortgage is there. My money is there. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, and, and why did they deserve our business? No particular reason. It's just inertia. 30 free trades is why they deserve yeah, our business. It's, a, it's, it's quite appealing. So not worth it. So, God damn it. All right. All right. Let me give you the floor. We're going to come back now. So I would say the leading pillar of Degenerate Business School. It's 2019. You gotta be in the cloud. You have to. So tell us, Robert, what's the cloud play you're recommending? Well, so today my stock pick of the week is uh, CRM, Salesforce.com. Now, I actually struggled with this one just because I thought about, you know, we've been talking about oilers and everything, and if you're not in the cloud, what are you doing? Um, the value play, at least in the immediate future, is better in in Salesforce. So, Salesforce.com. Um, I don't own it as of right now, Thursday, April 4th. But mm-hmm. tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning, I will buy into Salesforce.com. And I'm going to double down. <clears throat> with the stock. I already own some. I'm going to double my position. Right. So, what I'm doing is, again, January 2021, $155 strike. Um the stock is currently at one fifty eight ish and the option costs about thirty dollars. So it's about twenty percent upside over the course of two years for a stock that is as well managed and performs as well as Salesforce.com. I don't think this is an issue. From a technical perspective, um all the signs are there. It keeps building higher highs and higher lows. It's all there's really no reason to not own it. And, uh, it's undervalued. It's undervalued. It just is. Um, so today's fall for literally no reason. Uh, great buying opportunity. So, I have a theory. Lay it on me. About why Salesforce has been undervalued. <clears throat> Let me lay it on you. Uh, Mark Benioff, not to be confused with David Benioff, who helped create Game of Thrones. But Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce... He spends a lot of his time talking about social justice and homeless people. Good job by you, Benioff, but Wall Street does not like CEOs who talk about social justice. So I think there might be a market cap penalty in play because he's too focused on social justice and not focused on the cloud. 
it, it takes away from profitability of the thinking. I mean, or it's a distraction. Yeah, maybe not so much. I mean, it definitely is part of it. But even if it's not in the cloud, I think you do see that in in other companies. For for a while, Starbucks was that way when uh, Howard Schultz was very much into social justice and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I think you might be onto something for sure. Here's the other thing. And I think this is the icing on the cake. You would have never noticed this one. CRM, Salesforce.com, its symbol is a cloud. It's the perfect, perfect emblem of our trading theory over the long term. Absolutely. So, Salesforce.com, January 2021, strike, $155 strike calls tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, and I'm just buying it at market. Fucking Merrill, <laughs> you dick. Merrill Edge, I hate you. Uh, in but any it's case, free. It's free. In any case, quick update on. Oh yeah, your score. The rest of the portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not to get too much into the the numbers, but Cisco still killing it. The option up eighty percent versus the S and P up seven. Damn, that thing just keeps going up. Yeah, fifty the last time we. We clocked it, right? The option, I mean, of fifty percent, probably. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been killing it. Good job by you. Aurora Cannabis up fifty five versus the S and P up four. I got in on Aurora this week. I'm ready. All right, I'm here. I'm ready. Uh, something happened with Aurora that made it like fall a little bit, but I think it's good in the long term. Yeah. No, um, listen, I trust you. I'm pissed, but I trust you. I own it. I own it. I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. EM, the Emerging Markets ETF. You finally got out of the mud, and I did. you're getting the fuck out. I did. EM is up 8.3% versus the S&P at 3.1. Ladies and gentlemen, take note. I am selling this shit in the morning. Yeah. Selling it. And it don't matter if you win by an inch or, or a mile. Winning is winning. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. <laughs> let me ask you something. Currently, my record stands at 1 or no. Procter & Gamble fucking killed it. This technically is beating the S&P. Well, you got to clear the transaction. All right. But let's assume it holds. Yeah, you're that- two and up. Listen, the Patriots have won six Super Bowls. How many of them did they win by more than a touchdown? One? I yeah. Think. Uh, yeah, they beat, listen, they beat the Rams on a last second field goal to win their first. That still counts. All right, well. A Super Bowl is a Super Bowl. Well, I'm not saying... That I don't think EEM is going higher. I think the potential in Salesforce.com strongly outweighs the potential of the Emerging Markets ETF. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting out of that in the morning. And uh, CVS. Struggle House. Absolutely. Um, but re- room for optimism. Yeah, I think. yeah. So CVS actually got killed this week because Walgreens reported miserable earnings and blamed the entire industry. Um, False positive, I think. Yeah, so so the last time they reported earnings, something similar happened, except Walgreens shit the bed and CVS killed it. So I'm actually holding on to CVS for about another month when they report earnings on like May 1st or something. And that will decide whether or not I decide to take an L or maybe I'm vindicated. Mm-hmm. But uh, as of right now, it's down 17.5. The S&P is up too. So... Official record one and zero, running total of three and one. I mean, but Chimona, Cisco, eighty percent, and 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 you bought it 
10 weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, my portfolio, granted, none of these positions are equally weighted. I sort of just eyeball it. But the portfolio itself is up like close to 70% Mm -hmm. in 11 weeks. Yeah. Good job by you. Thank you. My portfolio, not up as much. But I don't have the stats. So, as ever, Robert? Cheers. You're welcome, America. Farewell. Farewell. Farewell.